The Bible reading today is from Acts chapter 1 and it begins on 1090, page 1090 in the Black Pew Bibles in front of you under the seat. Acts chapter 1. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave them many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptised with water, but in a few days you will be baptised with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said. Why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Join us. Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Ben, if you haven't met. I'm one of the assistant ministers here until the end of the year, as Bruce has announced. Now, now's not the time, of course, uh, to say farewell. It's still a long, long way away. But uh, I do want to say, because I have the microphone, um, that, yeah, it's with a big, very heavy heart that I've arrived at this decision. And with much uh, prayer, I, I do deeply love St. Matt's, which is to say I love you all. 
and uh, I will miss uh, being in this role uh, from next year onwards. Uh, but I really do believe God has called me uh, to, to this next uh, stage of my uh, ministry to a PhD and then to go off uh, and lecture somewhere in a missionary context. Uh, and so I'd be grateful for your prayers, actually, um, that I'm able to arrange it so that I'm able to stay on here and st study at an institution in the Netherlands, uh, and, but live here uh, while I do that study. So I'd be grateful for your prayers uh, for that. And um, if you have any questions about what I'm planning to do, I'll be hovering around uh, after the service, so please come and ask me. And also, if you have any questions from the sermon, I'd love to be delighted to talk to you. So without further ado, let me pray. Risen and ascended Lord Jesus, we're so grateful that you're with us now by your Spirit. Please would you speak to us so that we may become more like you, for we ask that for the glory of your Father and ours. Amen. Now, uh, many years ago, my hilarious pre uh, parents gave me this um, birthday card, and uh, I don't know if you can see it from the back. It's a, it's a picture of two evangelists. Uh, at the door of a lady's house and they ask the lady, have you found Jesus? And you think, well, that's, what, what's the deal with that? But if you look very closely, you can see there's Jesus and he's hiding behind the curtain. Now, it's very cheesy, of course. I love it. And, uh, but it does beg the question, where is Jesus right now? If you were to go looking for him, <clears throat> where is he bodily? Last week is... Uh, as you'll all recall, that, uh, we celebrated Easter. We remember that Jesus really did die. Uh, and we remember that he physically rose uh, from the dead. Good Friday, Easter Sunday, respectfully. And today, as Bruce mentioned, uh, we're looking at what took place 40 days after Jesus' resurrection uh, in the event known as the Ascension. Uh, so we read about it here in verse 9 in particular. Uh, so... So Luke, the writer, says, After Jesus had said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. Uh, now, that's a very um, small verse, uh, but it raises very big questions, doesn't it? Questions like, where is Jesus now? Uh, what's he doing there? And why did he have to leave? So I'll, I want to address those questions in a little bit more as we look at the ascension under three headings. So first of all, what is the ascension? Uh, why does it matter? And how do we share in its benefits? The ascension is not a topic that we get to talk about all that much. So I want to try to cover a fair bit of ground today. So strap yourselves in uh, as we look at what is the ascension? Why does it matter? And how do we share its benefits? So first of all, what exactly is the ascension? Um, the word ascension just means going up or climbing up. Uh, and I think in order to understand Jesus' ascension, there are three main aspects or three key ideas that we really need to grasp. And the first one is this. In the ascension, Jesus physically departed from the earth. As I mentioned, the book of Acts is written by a guy called Luke, and Luke uh, was a doctor. Um, as I understand it, one of the key roles of a doctor is to pronounce whether someone is uh, dead uh, or alive. If, and uh, so I, I, it's, it's interesting, Luke is a little bit obsessed, I think, with uh, pointing out that Jesus really was alive after the resurrection. Have a look with me at verse 3. Um, he says, Jesus presented himself to the disciples and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. Uh, among other things, um, Jesus uh, appeared to the disciples. He was, they witnessed him and they touched him, right? They, they felt the nail prints in his hands and put their hand, uh, Thomas put his hand in the side, uh, as you see in that picture. Um, and uh, Luke points out, verse 4, that Jesus ate with them, right? That's, 
not what a ghost does, right? So Jesus physically rose, he was physically alive. Um, in the, when we get to verse 9, um, Luke's really making the point that Jesus didn't shed his skin and ascend to heaven as pure spirit. Uh, no, verse 9 is saying when Jesus was lifted up, according to Luke, he was bodily raised, ascending into the sky. Uh, and so then Jesus disappears from their sight. So the question then is, where did he go after that? Well, the clue he, uh, uh, for us is the uh, second half of verse 9. It says, and a cloud hid Jesus from their sight. What's going on here? Uh, now, you might know if you know your Bible well that um, whenever we see a cloud, uh, more often than not, it represents the glory presence of God in the Bible. Um, you know, we see the glory cloud of God when he comes down at Mount Sinai. We see it as he leads the uh, people of Israel through the wilderness, um, a pillar of cloud. We see the cloud of God's presence fill the temple. Uh, and we see the cloud of God's glory at the Mount of Transfiguration in that picture. So in other words, the glory cloud represents heaven breaking into earth. And I think here in verse 9, the cloud represents a kind of portal from earth to heaven. It's like if uh, you've read the book, uh, The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe, or you've seen the movie by C.S. Lewis. Um, you know, the, it's the wardrobe, isn't it, which takes the Pevensey children from their world, from our world, uh, into a completely different world. Right? I think that's what the cloud is representing here. So in the ascension, uh, Jesus uh, physically um, departed from the earth but, and he physically entered into heaven. So that's the second key idea that we need to grasp. Um, now in the Bible, there is a distinction between the heavens and heaven. Uh, the heavens are what we see above us, the, the, the earth's atmosphere, the stars and the planets, what we now call space. Uh, but in uh, the Bible, heaven, not heavens, heaven, refers to a spiritual dimension. It's not actually in a, as it were, space-time continuum. That's why the, uh, the Russian cosmonaut Yuri Gagarin, um, I don't think he quite understood what he was saying uh, when in 1961 he was the first person into outer space and he very famously came back and he declared, I looked and I looked, but I didn't see God. Right? That's because God is not sort of floating out in space somewhere. Right? If you fired a rocket from the earth, gave it an infinite amount of time, it's not going to crash into heaven uh, somewhere in our universe. Um, in one sense, you know, we've got to say God is present everywhere in a general sense, uh, but in a more special, particular way, God is said to dwell in heaven, right? in this spiritual dimension, as we said. You might say that heaven is God's throne room where he dwells in his glorious presence in majesty and beauty and surrounded by thousands upon thousands of angels who all delight to praise and give him the glory that is due. So that brings us to the third key idea of the ascension. Uh, Jesus physically entered heaven to be crowned as king at the right hand of the Father. Our reading of uh, Acts uh, chapter 8 verse uh, sorry, Acts chapter 1 verse 9 in particular, it gives us a picture of the ascension uh, from below, from the disciples' point of view. Um, but if you want to see uh, what the ascension was like uh, from God's point of view, we've actually got to go elsewhere. We've got to go, I would say, to Daniel chapter 7. Daniel 7, the prophet Daniel gets a vision and it goes like this. He says, In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. Did you see that? There are the clouds again. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, 
glory and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Now, for a very long time, um, I thought this was a vision of the second coming uh, of Jesus. Um, and then actually Bruce pointed out something I'd never noticed before. Um, Daniel 7 doesn't say that Jesus is coming with the clouds down to earth. If you look at the, the flow, the movement, um, Daniel 7 is actually saying that Jesus is coming with the clouds of heaven into heaven, right? He's approaching the ancient of days. And so, in other words, I believe uh, Daniel 7 is actually showing us the climax uh, of the ascension. Uh, And we see that the climax of the ascension is actually a coronation. Now, last night, uh, late last night, I I found myself watching uh, a bit of footage uh, from the coronation of Queen Elizabeth II. Does anyone know what year that took place? Any trivia buffs? 1953. Well done, whoever said that. Good job. Um, I actually saw this... uh, for the first time, reenacted on that wonderful Netflix show, The Crown. That sort of was, you know, the spark for my interest in Queen Elizabeth and all things regal. Um, but actually, at her coronation ceremony, I noticed Queen Elizabeth actually ascended. Uh, and I, I noticed that in particular, that she ascended in two senses of the word. So first of all, she physically ascended to the throne. Uh, do you see there, if you, if you can't see it from the back, that her throne is actually on a raised platform above everyone else. So she had to step up to sit down on the throne. So she physically ascended, but in addition, we say she metaphorically ascended to the throne because, you know, the, uh, the coronation ceremony was the inauguration of her rule officially as queen. And in much the same way, the um, ascension of Jesus is all about that, his coronation as king. He now sits on the throne of heaven at the right hand of the Father. And by the way, the right hand is the place of, uh, we might say, the grand vizier or or the prime minister um, who rules on behalf of the monarch. And that's what Jesus does. He rules the universe under the Father. He rules the universe with the Father and for the Father. And what's amazing, I think, is that Jesus doesn't just rule as God. He rules the universe as man, right? One theologian puts it like this, the dust of the earth sits on the throne of heaven. Isn't that amazing, right? The reason he is man on the throne is for us. As the apostle Paul puts it in Ephesians chapter one, God placed all things under the feet of the Lord Jesus and appointed him to be head over everything. Why? For the church. If you think about it, that's just astounding. So that's what the ascension is. Um, Secondly, why does it matter? In other words, what's its significance uh, for us? This is a little bit of a confession of, uh, you know, my ignorance. Uh, So I'm going to continue on that theme. For a very long time, I actually thought of the ascension uh, as a little bit like, you know, the end of the story. You know, in fairy tales, and they all lived happily ever after. I thought it was a bit like that. Um, I actually thought the work of Jesus for salvation all had to do with the cross. You know, when, when he says, it is finished, I thought that meant, all right, he's done. And now the ascension is him like downing tools and going away on a holiday, going back home, as it were, for some well-earned R&R, you know, kicking back 
until he's you know, called back on stage for his return. Um, but actually, that couldn't be further from the truth. Jesus is working right now. He's working for us uh, on the throne. Um, I would say, actually, the ascension, the ascension is essential for our ongoing salvation. And I'm going to give you three reasons why I believe that's the case. Um, it's because, because Jesus ascended, we receive the presence of Jesus, we receive the power of Jesus, and we receive the prayers of Jesus. So because Jesus ascended, we receive the presence of Jesus. Uh, many years ago, when I moved to the Netherlands, uh, I thought I was going to live there for a very long time, um, I had to say goodbye to the people I love. And uh, the hardest of all really was my nephew slash godson. He came and he, he clung, you know, he wrapped his arms around my waist and he said, please don't leave, Uncle Benny. You know, he was in flood of tears and, you know, that's what he calls me, by the way. And, um, you know, I think all of us know how hard it is to say goodbye. Um, you, know, the, you know that place at the airport in the departures um, level where it says, you know, um, you go into customs and it says beyond this point, you know, only passengers may enter. You know, you look around, normally that space in particular, there's people crying everywhere, right? We all understand what it's like to say goodbye. Even though we might be able to chat with people physically in this day and age, or, you know, through the phone or Skype, it's not the same if they're no longer with us physically. And so it is uh, at the Last Supper when Jesus kept telling them, I'm going away to the Father. You know, the disciples were understandably upset. Uh, But have a listen to what Jesus says to them. He says, very truly, I tell you, it is for your good. It is for your good that I'm going away, he says. Unless I go away, the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, he says, I will send him to you. I think what Jesus is saying here is absolutely astounding. He's saying, unless I physically ascend into heaven, I'm not going to pour out my Holy Spirit, the Spirit of the Son, the Spirit of the Father. And unless he sends the Spirit, then he and the Father won't come and dwell in us. But because he ascends, because he gives us his Spirit, the Father and the Son come and live in us now, right? What an amazing privilege that we have in us, the Father and the Son dwelling, us, dwelling in us by the Spirit. Um, as Bruce mentioned, there's a very moving scene uh, in John chapter 20 um, where Mary Magdalene is peering into the empty tomb and she's weeping, right? And then all of a sudden Jesus appears and, um, and she's like, wow, Jesus, you know, Rabboni, which means teacher. She comes presumably and gives him a great big hug. And uh, Jesus says something which is a little bit confusing at first. He says, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. And you you wonder, what's Jesus saying here? Is it like he's a little bit aloof now, right? He's like saying, hey, you know, don't touch me, Mary. I'm too good for you now. Um, Is he saying, I don't know if you've ever done this, like when someone's just had a major surgery and you're so happy to see them, you want to go give them a big hug and they have to remind you, just chill, man, like take it easy, right? I'm a little bit tender, a little bit fragile. Is that what Jesus is saying after his resurrection? Absolutely not. What he's saying is this, you know, Mary is clinging to Jesus and he has to say, you know, I think she's saying to Jesus, Jesus, don't you leave me again, right? It was too hard the first time. Please don't leave again. And Jesus is saying, Mary, I have to leave. Because if I leave, you're not going to get less of me. You're actually going to get more. I wonder if you know what this means. It means because Jesus has ascended, because he's poured out his spirit on all who believe, we now have the presence of Jesus in a way that it is more real, in a way that's more intimate, in a way that's more joyful than the disciples ever experienced 
while Jesus was physically with them on the earth. Jesus promises us he is always with us to the end of the age. He assures us that where two or three gather in his name, he's present with us. Whenever the Bible is read and faithfully preached, it's not mere human words that you're hearing. It is the living and active voice of God, the voice of the ascended Lord Jesus that you are hearing. Friends, I wonder, do you believe that? Do you believe it is for our good that he goes away? Because if you do, let me encourage you, enjoy his presence daily. Spend time with him as you read his word and pray. Draw near to him in the Lord's Supper when we celebrate that once a month. And indeed, enjoy his presence uh, in our midst as we enjoy the fellowship of one another with other believers. So that's the presence of Jesus. Uh, Secondly, because Jesus has ascended, we receive the power of Jesus. There's a, I don't know if you uh, noticed, there's a little detail that uh, it's kind of easy to skip over. Um, In Acts chapter 1, verse um, 1, we read, um, In my former book, says Luke, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. I don't know if you caught that, but what Luke is saying here is that uh, when Jesus was physically on the earth, he began. Uh, to, to do stuff and to teach uh, stuff. But you know, re- really, that was just the beginning. The implication is he continues to act and to teach, even though he's ascended into heaven. How does he do that? He does that through the apostles, but now he does that through us. He continues to act and to teach through his church. And so, uh, verse 8, Jesus tells his disciples, he says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses. Um, now, that word for power uh, in the original Greek, it's, it's dunamis, which I only share with you because you can hear the word dynamite. You know, it's the same word from which we get the word dynamite. In other words, Jesus is saying he's going to give us the dynamite Um, at work in us, in the disciples, and in us too. We have the powerful life of Jesus at work in us to make him known in the world, despite great adversity. And so it's because of the ascension, Jesus gives us power for mission. Um, You know, the mission of the church is to share the good news that Jesus is king, and his kingdom is not of this world, right? So um, his kingdom doesn't grow through the power of the sword, His kingdom grows through the power of the word and his rule is seen whenever someone bows their knee joyfully and submits their life to him as Lord. And so I might put it like this, our job is not to persuade people to make Jesus their king. He's king already, that's what the ascension shows us so clearly. Our job rather is to invite people to receive Jesus as king while the free offer of forgiveness and amnesty still stands. And this is a great privilege. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. You know, it is a privilege. Not that we have to. I mean, he does command us, but it's not just that we have to share the good news of the kingdom, that Jesus is king. Um, But it's a privilege. We get to do that. And Jesus empowers us for that great and noble task. Um, Now, the second thing he empowers us for is he gives us powerful ministry. Um, In Ephesians 4, the Apostle Paul says that when Christ ascended on high, he gave gifts to his people. Uh, So it's because of the ascension that Jesus has poured out in each one of us a superpower, which he calls us to use to uh, help each other grow, to be more like Jesus and build up the church. Uh, and finally, and related, uh, he gives us powerful maturity. One of my favorite verses, Galatians 2.20, I love it. He's, Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And what this is saying is, if you're a Christian right now, 
Jesus is at work in you powerfully to make you live more and more like him. You know, it's that, it's that dynamite power, that the power to, to shatter even the most stubborn, rock-hard hearts. Um, let me put it around the other way. If you want to experience the powerful presence of the ascended Lord Jesus right now in your life, don't just look for his powerful presence in beautiful music. You know, don't just look for his presence uh, in abundant blessing, material blessing. Experience his presence by living like Jesus lived. That's his powerful presence at work in you. When you love your enemies, the world can see that the ascended Lord Jesus rules. Be patient with those who annoy you. Pray for those who gossip about you. Be content with what you have and give generously without thought of receiving back, right? That is the life of Jesus overflowing and working out uh, into your life and through you and all may see that he has ascended. You see, but Jesus has ascended, but he is not absent. When Jesus ascended, he didn't leave the church. Jesus ascended in order to lead the church. He is powerfully present in our midst for the sake of mission, for the sake of ministry, and for maturity. Because as he promises, he will build his church, and the gates of hell will not overcome it. Thirdly, because of the ascension, um, we receive the prayers of Jesus. Uh, Many years ago when I was a solicitor, occasionally I would uh, go to court to appear on behalf of my client. In other words, I'd speak to the judge on their behalf. Uh, So, Do you know right now that's actually what Jesus is doing for us? Hebrews 9 says, Jesus entered heaven itself now to appear for us in God's presence. You see, just as Moses ascended up Mount Sinai to speak to God on behalf of the people, so Jesus ascended into heaven to speak to God on our behalf. Hebrews 7 puts it like this, Jesus is able to save completely those who come to God through him Because he always lives to intercede for them. Jesus is not just our commander-in-chief directing the mission of the church. He's actually our great high priest and he's constantly praying for us. What's he praying for? I'm not 100% sure actually. Um, My guess is at least he's praying for the things that he empowers us to do for mission, ministry and maturity. Um, But I think scripture also gives us clues of what else he's praying for. Uh, When he was on earth... Jesus prayed for the disciples. He says, Simon, Simon, Simon Peter, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat. But I prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. So likewise, I think right now in heaven, Jesus is praying that we will persevere in faith to the end. Likewise, I think Jesus is praying for our unity. Um, On the night before he died, Jesus prayed for us, actually, and I think he continues to pray this prayer. John 17, he says, I pray that all of them, that's us, the church, may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. Isn't that amazing? He prays that we would be so united as the Father is in the Son and the Son is in the Father. He says, "Why? well, then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Friends, let's live more and more as united as God. God's pray- the, the son's prayers to the father are answered for unity. Um, I think also Jesus is praying uh, for our acquittal. Um, 1 John 2 says that if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. 
Now, I don't think that means that um, the Father needs reminding that Jesus' death covers over our sins. What I think this, this means is that um, Satan loves to come, I think, into the throne room of God and accuse us of wrongdoing. And for the sake of due process, the Son stands there in the heavenly court as our advocate and he's constantly pleading our case before the the father and he's saying father don't look at their sin look at my sacrifice it is sufficient to cover over and wipe away all their sin and so because we have an advocate with the father that leaves us with the great assurance without a shadow of doubt that romans 8 verse 1 is true there is now no condemnation for those who are in christ jesus because he always lives to intercede for us Let me just say, as a pastor, I often see people come to me and they're just racked with guilt. You know, um, we struggle uh, with something we've done wrong. We don't think that God could ever forgive us. And that often includes me as well. You know, we beat ourselves up. We don't let it, you know, we don't let it be. If that's you, I want to invite you to meditate on the ascension. I want to invite you to remember that we have an advocate with the Father and God is greater than our hearts. Here's how C.S. Lewis uh, puts it. He says, I think that if God forgives us, we must forgive ourselves. Otherwise, it is almost like setting 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 up ourselves as a higher tribunal than him. Because Jesus has ascended, we receive his presence, we receive his power, and we receive the benefit of his prayers on our behalf. So finally, as we wrap up, um, how do we share in the benefits of Christ's ascension? In other words, how do we ascend? I think in each of our hearts, we desire to ascend in, in one way or another. I don't know if you remember this person. I'm sure you do. Susan Boyle, 2009, she went on Britain's Got Talent. And uh, you could see the look on the faces of the judges. At first, she didn't seem impressive, did she? She was a bit nervous. Um, and, but then she stunned and wowed the crowd by singing, I dreamed a dream. And from then on, we say she rose to fame. Now, I love that story when I saw that many years ago. And I think all of us are a lot like that too. You know, we love rags to riches stories. I think it's because for many of us, the underlying story of our lives is that even though we might be low, you know, someday we're all going to rise. You know, even though we have adversity now, one day we will overcome. And I wonder, do you know what the ascension is? (laughs) The ascension is the greatest rags to riches story ever told. The ascension is the story of a poor carpenter. Though he was rejected by men and afflicted, he rose to become the king of the universe. You know, it's the great tale of the underdog. And the promise of the gospel is that that is our story too. God wants us to ascend, but we have to ascend in his way. You know, we can't ascend by climbing over others. We can't ascend by tearing others down. The paradox of the Bible is that God humbles the proud, but he lifts up the humble. In other words, the Bible says that if you want to ascend, you first have to descend. In other words, you have to humble yourself before God and say sorry. In Psalm 24, uh, King David, he says, Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? David answers, The one who has clean hands and a pure heart. 
Friends, if we're honest on our own merit, we know that we don't have clean hands and a pure heart. You know, it's the bad news. But here's the good news. We have a king who does. He does have clean hands and a pure heart. And when we receive him by faith, he graciously shares all that is his. His life is now our life. His death is our death. His resurrection will be our resurrection and his ascension will be our ascension if we put our trust in him. Because Jesus has ascended, we too will ascend. Because Jesus is at the right hand of the throne of God, we too get to approach God's throne of grace with confidence. We get to do that now as we pray to him, but one day we'll get to approach God's throne physically in our resurrected bodies when heaven and earth unite in the new heavens and the new earth. So friends, my very simple application is this. If you don't yet trust in Jesus, why not turn to him today? He is a good, good king and he offers you salvation for free if you just put your trust in him. But if you already trust in Jesus, let me urge you, keep living out his ascended life in you. You have the power of Christ at work in you, the power to shatter the most stubborn heart. Depend on him as you engage in mission, as you uh, engage in ministry and grow in maturity. He is present in you. His power is in you and he's praying for you. So stand firm on his promise that to the one who is victorious, listen to this, to the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne. That would be outrageous, except for the fact that Jesus says it himself. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne just as I was victorious and sat down with my Father on his throne. Let me pray. Father, thank you that Jesus ascended into heaven and thank you that you appointed him as head over everything for the sake of the church. Help us to trust him and enable us to live our lives delighting in his presence, trusting in his power and thankful for his prayers. We ask that for Jesus' sake. Amen.